Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Walk Off Podcast, and we are back with a brand new episode. I got, as usual, Davis and Leroy here with me today. How are you boys doing? Doing good, doing good. How's everyone How's everyone doing? Doing good. A lot going on in the sports world. And we got some good baseball news to cover. Yep, it's officially baseball time for me here as my Baltimore Ravens put up a baseball score over the weekend. So here we are. All right, so let's let's dive right in here today. We have a, a long-awaited free agency signing that I think we've been talking about for a while, and that is in DJ LeMahieu re-signing with the New York Yankees. Um, big interesting contract here for me because it's six years worth ninety million dollars, which for a player who the last two years came in top five of the MVP voting, that's a pretty cheap contract for uh, fifteen million dollars a year. However. This does lock him down in New York until he is 38 years old, uh, sitting here at 32 currently. So definitely a contract looks like it's going to keep him there for the end of his career for a, definitely a club-friendly deal. Um, I want to start with you, Leroy, your thoughts on DJ LeMahieu signing. Yeah, I mean, this this deal made sense for, for both LeMahieu and, and the Yankees. For the Yankees, for obvious reasons, they get, they get a guy who's, uh, since he's been in – uh, pinstripes has led the, you know, he's led the majors in opposite field home runs since joining the Yankees. Um, quite an interesting stat there. Um, and of course that has to do with that, uh, that band box that they call a ballpark there. Um, but, but, you know, he goes beyond that 12.7, uh, strikeout rate has been the seventh lowest since he's joined the, uh, the Yankees. Um, so it makes sense from, from the Yankees standpoint, uh, to, to have LeMayhew back at second base. And for LeMayhew, let's be honest, his numbers don't play as well elsewhere. And, um, uh, you know, when we see that, just look at his two, 2020 numbers, which were phenomenal. Um, but his his home OPS on, on base plus slugging was 1.265. His away was 0.759. So, you know, LeMayhew was not going to go anywhere else and be able to stack up the numbers that he's going to in New York. Um, I think, you know, the one interesting piece to this, and it, I don't think it comes as a surprise, uh, this, this signing, but uh, the one interesting piece to this, <clears throat> Justin, you alluded to, was the six-year uh, contract length, and and at first you kind of scratch your head about this and go, what six years? I mean, heck, he had teams out there offering him the same money for four or five years, um, but it, you know he understands that his numbers play better in New York. Uh, but but the the issue I I take with that, <laughs> and it kind of goes back to my rant last week is, you know, New York lengthened this contract so that they lower their luxury cap hit in 2020. So the the luxury cap for uh, or 21, I'm sorry, the luxury cap for 2021 is is 210 million, and uh, the Yankees are now even with the LeMahieu signing and with the Kluber signing are still below that. And I think we're going to talk about that. So the Yankees are the second highest, have the second highest payroll to the Dodgers um, in baseball coming into 2021, and they're under the uh, luxury cap. Uh, the Dodgers are also under the luxury cap. As a matter of fact, no team has exceeded this luxury cap since 2016. So, you know, for Major League Baseball to give us this nonsense that that, that it's some type of de facto salary cap is 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 bull. 
baloney. We're, I'm sorry, we're PG. Um, <laughs> is baloney. Um, only, you know, only teams in history have crossed the uh, salary cap. And this is another signing that, you know, helps the, the Yankees stay below that bloated salary cap and ensures that teams can still spend pretty much freely while uh, the Pirates are out there with a $20 million payroll. So those are my thoughts on, on LeMahieu. Yeah, and you know, last week we talked about sort of how the contract talks were starting to stall a little bit. LeMahieu's agent reaching out to other teams, and I think we generally kind of agreed that that was sort of just a smokescreen and clearly kind of just a scare tactic. And days later, the deal gets done. So that being said, I mean, seeing the numbers of the contract, I don't really blame the Yankees for taking their time. It is a pretty huge contract. But, you know, the, we talked about the length a little bit. Six years, that's sort of a Yankees deal to me. I'm not too concerned about him getting older. They've offered guys older guys bigger deals in the past that we've seen that and you know it's worked out for them with the guys they've had and you know LeMahieu was so solid last year Leroy touched on his career stats but I looked mostly just at last year because I think it's a really good indicator you know the Yankees were super hot and cold last year and they won eight of their first nine then they went on a seven game losing streak in August nine game win streak September lost six of their last eight but if you look at LeMahieu's numbers he was consistent the whole way through and it was a weird season for every team, but especially the Yankees, they had a lot of injury issues. So to have a guy that's such a consistent contributor in a positive way to you, you, you just have to make the deal. You have to resign him uh, career high and batting average on base percentage, him and Luke Voigt led the team in pretty much every hitting category. So to let a guy like that walk is just, you, you just can't do it, especially with a, a team like the Yankees with the money to spend. It just wouldn't make sense. So, uh, I thought it was, you know, clearly just a matter of time until the two sides came to agreement. And I think he clearly wanted to stay in New York. Uh, Leroy, you touched on it, talking about how he's pretty much built to play in that stadium, too. So I think this deal is just a win-win for both sides. And we're going to get into the Kluber signing. They, they weren't done with just signing LeMahieu. But the numbers didn't seem too, uh, too, too much money. Like, I don't think they overpaid. I think it's a guy that deserved the contract, and both sides wanted to get it done. Yeah, I mean, certainly deserves that contract. I think it could even be easy to say he does deserve some more, but I do understand wanting to stay in New York. I mean, again, we've been talking about his numbers the last two years, but if you look at 2019 and 2020, if you look at it in a full game season, he was almost perfectly on track to, if not beat, at least tie every number he had in 2019. Um last year in those 50 games that he played in because he still had 10 doubles in 50 games in 145 in 2019 he had 33 you know he had 10 home runs already in 2022 having uh what was in 2019 26 so you look at that number he was on pace to have even more at and that was in his 31 year old season so when you look at the six years that you're still getting at least four years where dj lemayhew could be a top of you know top of the al and batting average was that's something he's always going to do and his ops is just wild it was 1.01 in 2020 i mean that's a that's absurd you know and then going into the next thing we're going to talk about the Corey kluber signing when you look at the money dj lemayhew's getting for one year you almost see where like that money came from to sign kluber as they signed him for one year uh, 11 million there definitely is going to be a really good a really good piece to put in that rotation that needs some help uh, behind Garrett Cole. I think we all agreed on that a few times. Um, my one thing when Corey Kluber, I'll say right now, though, is 
The Yankees starting rotation has been plagued by injury and just mishap. And, and Corey Kluber certainly is a guy you're you're running into this into that same scenario with this. He's only pitched or started in eight games since the end of 2018. I mean, shortened season last year or not, that's a lot of time for a pitcher to miss and then come in and try and expect him to pitch at a level to send your team to a World Series, which we all know that's, you know, that's the thing on the Yankees' mind right now. It's World Series or bust as it has been for the last decade. So I'm going to start with you, Davis. I want to hear what you think about them uh, signing Corey Kluber here. Yeah, I love that you said, uh, you know, World Series or bust for them because I was kind of holding back that comment. The, the doesn't really reflect in the LeMahieu signing as much, but I think the Kluber signing, you know, if there's one thing we've learned uh, as Orioles fans from being in the AL East, it's that the Yankees and Red Sox are not going to settle with, you know, being mediocre. And whether or not you think these moves will make them much better or worse, their front office is never going to sit still uh, in an offseason after a division series exit, and especially when it comes at the hands of a division opponent as they lost to the Rays. So I don't know. Initially, this signing seemed a bit odd to me. $11 million is a lot for a guy that played only eight games in the last two seasons. And he only pitched one inning in 2020. So, you know, you don't wish injury on anybody. I hope he comes back well because his track record is incredible. Two-time Cy Young winner. But I don't know. Apparently, he pitched in front of scouts and everything in the offseason. And the Yankees' director of health and performance must have, like, worked with him in rehab and everything. So I think they're very confident in his status. I mean, obviously, the contract reflects that. Um, and his age is another thing that kind of concerns me, uh, but he's getting up there, but he doesn't rely on his fastball as much. So I think that'll benefit him. And it's just a high ceiling move for them. I mean, bringing a guy with the experience, two-time Cy Young winner, I think the Yankees are probably one of maybe three teams that could have made this deal next to like Red Sox, maybe Angels. Like there's no one that could spend this much to get a guy like this. I think it's a perfect move for the Yankees. And they don't lock him down for two or three years. If it goes bad with an injury, he's gone after the end of the year. So I think it's a good signing. I mean, if healthy, it's going to be pretty deadly next to Garrett Cole, and it adds depth to, with guys like Jordan Montgomery and Severino. So I think it's a high-ceiling move. It's a lot of money if it doesn't work out. Um, but like I said, I just, you know, the Yankees aren't going to settle with uh, being mediocre. So this is, a, this is a big move. Yeah, you know, I agree. This is a classic, uh, um, you know, Signing that that the Yankees are thinking if uh, if he goes injury free, uh, Kluber goes injury free throughout 21, or if he returns to his 2014 to 2018 uh, numbers, um, as Davis said, it's you know, a, a super high reward. And if he doesn't, well, you just kind of sweep him to the side. And while $11 million is, is quite a bit, it's really not much the Yankees, especially since it doesn't put them over the, the luxury uh, cap. Um, but, you know, I worry about Kluber. I don't, I don't know what the chances are of him not getting injured or not or, or, or returning to that 2014 to 2018. From, from, for that five-year period, he pitched 218 innings a year on average. That's a lot, that's a lot on an arm. Um, now his ERA was 2.85, which was insane, and he had a 28% strikeout rate, which is also insane. Um, but, you know, since 2019, he can't stay healthy. And even when he is, he's bad. I mean, in those eight starts that you mentioned, Justin, his ERA is 580, 5.80. And, um, and now he's going to Yankee Stadium. So, you know, his number, regardless, his numbers are probably not, are, are not going to return to that, uh, 
that five-year period for him and you know the wheels could completely fall off but they do have other options i mean this is more of a depth signing and, and you're right 11 million for a for a lottery ticket or for a depth signing is something that very few teams can do and um if you want to know how i feel about that just listen to our podcast from last week <laughs> yeah i mean i think you you nailed it right there leroy it, it's it's definitely a move only the yankees can make i was going to say this is certainly a yankees move to sign a guy who Lord knows how he's going to come out and perform for 11 million. You know, I mean, that is a pretty good chunk of change. But for them, as you mentioned, it doesn't even put them over the luxury tax. It It's a Yankees version of a low or a low risk, high reward signing, you know. And it will be interesting to see how he lines up in that rotation. Because behind Cole, if he is in his form, like you mentioned, from 2014 to 2018, uh, it that could be one of the better one-two punches in the AL, in my opinion, maybe behind you know, the White Sox. But if he doesn't, then that is another good chunk of money, whether you are the Yankees or not, um, you know, being dropped there. But now we're going to go over to, I guess we could call them the, the new Yankees of the National League here, and the Padres have acquired another starting pitcher. I feel like we've said that four times now, which actually we have, not an exaggeration. But now this, I will say real quick, as of... Tuesday, um, what is today, the 19th? This is not completely official yet. It is still pending physicals, but this trade, three-team trade brings Joe Musgrove from the Pirates to the Padres. Yet again, another uh, starting pitcher there and also involves the Mets getting a starting pitcher from the Padres in Joe Lucchesi as well. So this is a pretty big trade. The Padres yet again going for it, as I've been saying. This is a uh, five-person trade here. It actually sends four prospects from the Padres to the Pirates, as well as one prospect from the Padres to the Mets. Now, this this trade is not, obviously, it's not Blake Snell or you Darvish, you know, but this is a, a very, very good third or fourth piece in this rotation that, at this point, I see no reason why this will not be the best rotation in in the at least in the nl and 20 2021 excuse me and that's also without mike clevenger still um as well here so i'll start with you leroy what you think about this big blockbuster trade for the padres yeah, again you know more of the rich rich getting richer here um you know you you hit the nail on the head this this may be the best rotation in baseball the dodgers might have something to say about that but if you line up the padres all new rotation this is basically an all new rotation next to the dodgers rotation um man it, it'd be hard to pick one um i think uh one of the things that you kind of have to account for is how how they kind of gel together and start to come together as a team that that typically takes a little bit um but you know in in uh, musgrove they're getting a, a 433 career pitcher to, to slide into their fourth their fourth spot or whatever maybe third i don't know uh, who had a 386 last year it's um it's a heck of a move um and and you know the padres are man the padres played this perfectly um they spent years in the basement building their minor leagues um and had such a uh an abundance of prospects that they could bring some up and play them and trade some off for pieces and now they're set up um 
for quite a while. I mean, this the Padres aren't looking like one of those teams that's going to be, you know, have this three, four, five year run and then go back into the cellar uh, for 10 years. They, they really look like the way this is structured, particularly their pitching staff. Uh, they're, they're set for, for a while and, and they have money. They have money to keep putting into it. Um, so, you know, for the Padres, this great move. I think uh, I think this baseball season, unfortunately, is shaping up to be a two, maybe a three-team race. Maybe you can throw the Braves in there. Maybe you can throw the Mets in there, a four-team race. But I still think the Braves and the Mets are a uh, little bit uh, behind the Padres and the Dodgers. You know, the one the one thing that bothers me about this is the, is the Pirates. I mean, let's look at Look at the players going back and forth here. Uh, the Padres get a major league level starter in Joe Musgrove. Uh, the the Mets get a major league level starter in Joey Lucchese. Um, somebody that that was could have fought for a fifth spot on the Padres will probably slide in at five for the Mets. And the Pirates get prospects get maybes. Um, so we got the two big spenders getting the major league talent, and the Padres getting the lottery tickets and. Um, well, it's just more the same. It's just more the same. It's like everything we talk about every week is more the same. Um, but, hey, the Padres are trying. And, honestly, there's only about 33% of the teams in Major League Baseball that are actively trying. So, uh, hey, give the Padres credit. Yeah, I, I really like this trade. It's one of those, you know, sneaky trades that's not going to, you know, make the big headlines. Not big names, but it's it's important players getting moved around. I Lucchesi goes to the Mets. I think that's a guy that could probably start, you know, be their end of rotation guy. It's probably a better spot for him than the Padres. And I actually kind of like what the Pirates did. You know, I, I hate the system. Like, don't get me wrong, like we talked about last week. But as an Orioles guy, it's, you know, I love lottery tickets. You know, getting those trades for prospects that could turn out to be good, knowing that you're not going to be able to keep, you know, keep your uh, key pieces. Like a guy like Musgrove is not going to stay in Pittsburgh no matter what. So to get something in return is kind of nice for them. Hudson Head is the big name that comes over. He's now their number six prospect. He's a pretty solid outfielder, 19 years old. So as an Orioles fan, it's like, hey, you know, maybe these guys will turn into stars that will eventually get traded away. (laughs) But uh, I like all sides of this trade. The Musgrove acquisition is a sneaky good move for the Padres. You know, they brought in a bunch of good guys. If you recap their whole offseason, he wouldn't be anywhere near the top. But I think that's a guy that, you know, come playoff time could be really important for them. Uh, former first-round pick, too. He was with the Astros. Just a career ERA is, is just under league average. So it's a guy you can plug into your rotation at any spot. And his record doesn't really show it. It's, he doesn't have the best record. But apparently he made some mechanical tweaks about a season ago that um, – affected his delivery and resulted in career highs and strikeouts, uh, ground ball and swing and miss percentage last season. So you like to see that he's trending up and, you know, we, Leroy talked about last year, the, the Dodgers have a rotation where their six and seven guy could probably be the number two and three guy on a, on a, on an average team. And the Padres are doing exactly what the Dodgers did. I mean, or at least trying to do that. And, uh, you know, the Dodgers strike fear into the league with, with a rotation like that. So you build so much depth at the starting position and why not replicate the Dodgers? That's a team that's been beating up on the Padres for years and won a world series and swept the Padres last year. So why not, you know, try to mirror them. And um, I, I just think the Padres know that pitching is key. That's what their off season has showed me. They, you know, had two elite MVP caliber hitters last season in Manny and Tatis, and they still got swept by the Dodgers. So I think their rotation is just so much stronger now, and I, I think they're really built for a deeper playoff run than they were last year. Yeah, I think off the bat, 
just this is an incredibly smart move. I mean, this isn't one of those go out and sign the most expensive free agent. Like, don't they didn't go out and get Trevor Bauer and drop here's as much money as you could ever want. Please come here or the trade for the biggest name player that wants to leave like a bottom team. You this was go out and get the guy that's going to work well in our rotation give up what we need to give up for them. As Leroy said, yes, they've been dropping prospects all over, but we know that they are set up to do that. And that is part of the baseball. And I think also as Oriole fans, as our farm system has grown so much, we can come to appreciate how these trades, even for the other sides do come, does uh, come around in the end when it's worked correctly. Cause it still ultimately is up to, to say the pirates in this scenario who are agreeing to these trades. And if they're not developing their prospects they're getting from other teams as well as their own, then I can't fault too much on a guy like AJ Preller, who's going out and doing everything he can to compete with a team like the Dodgers in his own division or compete with a team like the Yankees or, you know, the Astros in a world series. And a move like this kind of reminds me of the mid season move. The nationals made in 2019 for Daniel Hudson solidified that bullpen really locked down what they needed to get locked down to make a playoff run. And that was a team that, other than their starting pitching really would never compare to this Padres team right now, you know? So I think that was a really smart move again, going out and just getting what they needed, not getting what they need and everything else. So again, really smart move on that part. And even for the Mets, I think this works out as a good move in Lucchesi because in two seasons that he has pitched, he hasn't been too great. He is around a four ERA, which is not awful, but the Padres didn't give him the uh the repetitions and the starting time that he maybe needs is a lot of times in his spot in the rotation they would go for bullpen days in the last season especially so that of course when you're a fourth or fifth starter in every fifth start you're getting you know bench for a bullpen game you're not going to get those reps and so that'll be interesting to see in uh in new york as well how this trade works out is the, the mets kind of like snuck in here was like all right you guys aren't doing something without us getting something you know, out of it as well. So I think that was pretty smart on, on the Mets part in itself. But now we're going to take a break for a minute. We're going to hand it over to our buddy Jared here, and he's going to uh, kick it off with his seventh inning stretch. No breaks for you all quite yet. We have to get into our weekly trivia question before we get into the stretch. All right, Leroy, of course, has the lead. He's pitching the shutout. He's got one. Justin and Davis both hanging zeros up, but could they get this question right this week? Let's find out right now. All right, boys, which team finished the 2014 season with the best record in Major League Baseball? The Angels. Okay. Leroy? Cardinals. Okay. Davis? Yankees. <laughs> wow. One of you has the correct answer this week, and it is Justin. Give me that. The Los Angeles yep. Angels. Finished they got the 20, swept. Yep. They finished the 2014 season with a record of 98 and 64, which was best in Major League Baseball, only to be eliminated by the Kansas City Royals in the ALDS that year. Of course, us as Oriole fans, we know that 2014 yep, yep, yep. season was great and terrible at the same time because the Royals ended up sweeping us uh, in the ALCS. But. Justin, congratulations, man. You are now tied with Leroy for the lead in our trivia questions. Davis, you'll have time to catch up. Don't worry about it. But let's get into it, guys. Let's get into your seventh inning stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the seventh inning stretch. 
All right, starting off the stretch this week, John Lester is headed to the Washington Nationals on a one-year deal. The veteran lefty has spent the last six seasons with the Chicago Cubs, helping lead them to their first World Series championship in over 100 years back in 2016. Now, here's the thing, guys. That was the biggest one-year deal for pitching this week. But there were so many others I had to compile. I had to, you know, put them all in one. Okay, so here are about five players who signed to one-year deals. Pitching, Archie Bradley, one-year deal with the Phillies. Martin Perez heading back to the Red Sox on a one-year deal. Shelby Miller has signed with the Cubs for one year. Tyler Chatwood has agreed to a one-year pact with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, so lots of pitching depth coming off the free agent market in the last week, to say the least. And it's been rumored, guys, that Kirby Yates is nearing a deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. It's not confirmed, but we can cover that next week if it does come to happen. All right, catcher Kurt Suzuki has signed a one-year deal, uh, $1.5 million, to the Los Angeles Angels, who we mentioned earlier. Suzuki spent the last two seasons in the nation's capital, helping lead the Nationals to their first ever World Series championship and a little bit of um, terrible news to, to end this, this stretch. No way, no other way to say it. Uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen announced on Twitter this morning that the organization has terminated general manager Jared Porter following last night's uh, revelation that he had harassed a female reporter back in 2016 via a string of 60 plus unreturned text messages, which included unsolicited explicit images. Uh, Porter's tenure lasted all of 37 days, marking the second consecutive winner in which the Mets have hired and fired a key organizational leader within mere weeks. Of course, last season, Carlos Beltran was hired as the manager of the Mets only to be fired because of the Houston Astros scandal. Now, here's a quick update. We just got this about an hour ago. Major League Baseball is preparing an investigation into Porter, according to USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Uh, pending the results of this investigation, Porter could face a suspension. It would then have to apply for reinstatement in order to work with another Major League Baseball team. So it's not looking good for him uh, in his future in baseball. But that is your seventh inning stretch here on the walk-off. Justin, handing it back to you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, my friend. Definitely a lot of a lot of other news in there. We couldn't all fit in there. A lot of one one year signing. So exciting to see how this offseason is really starting to pick up as we are coming in on time for spring training, which we do believe will be uh, on time here. So the next thing we're going to talk about, another more logistical thing. Definitely, I want to go to Leroy here first because I want to hear his thoughts on this of the possibility of the MLB keeping seven inning double headers. And that's that's where there's a few things here to add with this, but that's where we're going to start, Leroy. I want to hear your thoughts on these uh, seven inning double headers now that we had a shortened season of experience. Yeah, I think this there. is where I get my my cane out and I tap it on the floor and yell at these youngsters to get off my lawn before I go into this. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you follow this, this story online, social media, whatever, uh, you'll notice there are a lot of, uh, baseball purists in quotes or, uh, uh, you know, older fans that really hate this idea of the uh, seven inning double headers. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm older. I'm a little older. I'm in my mid 40s. And I, I consider myself to be a bit of a baseball purist. But I like this idea. I like anything Major League Baseball is looking to do to make changes to to help uh, keep interest in the game. And this is just one. Um, you know, the thing is with this, um, while I don't mind the idea, it's kind of unnecessary, to be honest. Um 
let me rephrase that. It's unnecessary if they continue this long term. Uh, we're facing a year 2021 where, um, you know, we're hopeful, the commissioner is hopeful that there's going to be a 162 game season plan. However, we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic that may be in its worst point um, right now. Uh, so um, the idea of keeping seven inning doubleheaders is a good one, um, particularly when you look at some of the numbers. So so last year, uh, you know, a lot of games had to be rescheduled due to um, issues beyond the typical rescheduled reasons, which are typically weather. Um, and that's, you know, positive COVID cases and teams having to having to shut down for a small period of time. Even so, um, there were 960 unique baseball games last year, and only 90 of them uh, were played under a doubleheader, so so less than 10%. And that's in an, an odd year, you know, a, a year that uh, uh, we were in the middle of, of a pandemic. If you look at a typical year, let's look at 2019, um, 5,184 unique baseball games were played, and only six, 68 of those were played under doubleheaders. So you're looking at 2%. So, um, you know... <laughs> Something that's only affecting two percent of the games um, and is cutting only a couple of innings off of a game, um, you know, it, it's not going to bother me um, if it keeps a you know seventeen year old kid's attention for a Sunday, and and he says, you know, I can watch uh, this entire doubleheader uh, because it's only going to take five hours instead of seven. <laughs> um, I, hey great idea um whatever whatever baseball can do to uh to keep the young eyeballs on it and i know you know your purists don't like it but um when you're in the middle of something like we're facing right now you got to do what you got to do we'll see if it if it sticks past 2020 um it might um you know, I, I think baseball past 2021 is going to look a lot different anyway as we as we start to get towards this uh, this impending potential uh, showdown. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm all for it. Let's yeah, let's do it. Gives me an hour of my life back. Yeah, I I really don't mind this move at all. I mean, but you you said it perfectly, Lori. Leroy, how often do you see these doubleheaders happen anyway? I mean, last year was was a really weird year. And ironically, my first thought when I thought about this, the seven inning doubleheaders was I can think of an Orioles game last year specifically that went 12 innings in the doubleheader. That was a seven inning game. So very likely you're still seeing nine inning games if you really want to sit there and pick it apart to that detail. Um, I mean, I think seven innings, nine innings, you're still playing baseball, you know. I don't really see too much difference in that. You know, you go out with the starting pitcher, he's got to throw a good few innings, keep the other team off the board while you have to score runs and then bring in your bullpen. Uh, you know, I don't think it changes too much. And again, like you said, how unlikely it is that we see double headers anyway. And I think that also helps in a large part to the amount of people who's going to want to spend the amount of money to come to a game in a season when they're going to need fans to come more than ever before. And if a fan can say, I can sit through 14 innings as opposed to 18, potentially 20, um, it sounds a lot more feasible to me than I'm a huge baseball fan. Would I choose to sit through 14 over 18? Uh, you know, absolutely. 18 innings can be great, but for what it's worth in terms of getting people in their stands, I think that's a decent move as well. So I want to hear what uh, you think now, Davis. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a move that doesn't really strike a nerve with me. I think 
had it not been for all the COVID stuff, I would probably be against these moves. But just looking at the 2020 season, you know, I, I think it was overall a lot of fun, obviously amidst a, a very serious time that we're in. And I know we all enjoy just sports being back and coming coming together for sports, you know. But it's very different with all the rule changes and whatnot. And there were ups and downs. But, you know, for one, I think the expanded playoffs was pretty enjoyable. I don't know if I'm in the minority on that, but getting to see more teams make it make a run was fun. You know, look at like the Marlins and the Rays having a great run. It was it was a fun season. But the seven inning doubleheader and runner on second for runner on second extra innings rule, I, I can go either way on it. You know, last year I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I feel like the Orioles are on the, the wrong side of the extra runner a couple times maybe that's why i don't like it as much but you know the big thing is that games are going to be canceled and made up just like rain delays now but it's going to be very frequent in my opinion um i think double headers are going to be very frequent uh more than they've ever been because i compare it to what the nba and nfl have been doing in the nfl it's a week in between games if a player has COVID or is in contact they're going to miss a game or two tops maybe not even a game because you know, there's a week in between or sometimes more than a week the NBA, it's every couple of days, and I think that's the closest comparison to baseball because, you know, there's guys missing three or four games at a time. The Sixers have been for two weeks just, like, plummeted by uh, COVID. They were 9-2 and two or something, and now they've lost, you know, four of their last five, something like that. So I think that's very similar to MLB. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of games postponed with that. Now, baseball is a non-contact sport, which makes it much different. We can only hope that, you know, we don't see these uh, cancellations, but... I, I think, you know, you're going to have these double headers stacking up and let's say you have a game go to extra innings the day before you're playing two games the next day, you got these guys staying up till two in the morning playing in the 14th inning. You know, I think putting that extra runner speeds up the game a little bit and I think it's going to be necessary. So I think that's why they made this move and it's just a tough situation to be in for the MLB to predict that kind of stuff. It's going to be a weird season, but 160 games, I hope they can pull it off. Um, I just think, you know, with there's going to be a lot of postponed games and they're, they're just going to have to figure out a way to do it. If it's going to be a longer season time-wise, you know, into the winter, I don't know. But uh, I think these rules are at least what we're seeing now is that they're predicting what could potentially go wrong, which is took them forever to do, you know, last summer to make the shortened season. So at least they're thinking ahead and I hope that we can have a safe and good season. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we have to put, some trust into the MLB itself and the way they have to, you know, handle these things. Cause in all reality of it, 60 games of seven inning, you know, length games, I mean, still baseball, you know, there, the, there could be a lot worse things happening even to the game of baseball itself than, you know, proposing seven inning double headers or DH in the NL or runner on second. I mean, to be honest with you, I went into last year, I thought about that runner on second rule, and I was like, dude, this is the dumbest rule in the world. Like, th this is never going to work out. Might have helped watching the Orioles be the first team during a double play on the first pitch of an inning, but I didn't really see that playing as nearly as much as a factor as I originally thought. I didn't see the extended playoffs being a factor. I actually thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I hope they do that every single year because – I, I really, again, I don't think it made that much of a difference. And to say that, you know, the MLB shouldn't shouldn't do stuff like that because it changes the game doesn't really change the game very much. These were minuscule rules that once we saw them in play, like I said, before we thought of 2022 afterward when we actually, you know, saw that in play, I don't think it really changes much. And that goes me to talk about 
leads me to talk about a DH in the NL, which again is another thing we finally got to see um, last year for the first time. So we can, you know, better address how we feel about that. And that's another rule I think is great. I mean, it, it's in, in a way me and Davis here, we're in that weird middle generation. We understand and remember baseball, what it was very purely as well as, you know, being more of the age of the group that wants to see baseball move forward. So I think it's interesting for someone like us. We've been watching pitchers hit for years. That's not unfamiliar to us. We've seen in years past when pitchers were much better hitters than they are now. But I think in the game of baseball was much more exciting when I can see a person who is, you know, a good hitter going up in the seventh inning of an NL game, not having to do these double switches that take 30 minutes at a time, especially with these new rules where you can only pitch you know, you have to pitch a pitcher for a longer amount of times. It even makes it harder to do those switches. I think that was a good move as well. Davis, what you think about that DH rule last year? Yeah, I forgot to add that as well as kind of just implied, but I thought that was kind of overdue. I think they were talking about that either way. I, you know, it was like kind of well, not funny, but like they just used 2020 as an excuse. Like, yeah, we'll just try it. You know, it really had no impact on like the other rules were shifted towards safety and like speeding up the game because of a shortened season they only had a certain timeline to get the games in the the dh rule had i don't think anything to do with that but i like it i mean i've been a been a proposing that for a long time been a fan of that so i just think it's more fair to have both leagues have the the same you know amount of hitters in a lineup i just think it's better for the game i don't know if you know it's the purest that's not really like the purest opinion with having the the pitcher hit and everything i i know it's like sort of a newer idea but I, i'm actually all for the d you know the the, in the, the extra inning the, having the runner on second in the extra in the extras and and using the dh in both leagues is a little different for me than the double header rule because i feel like both of those are around for the long haul pa pandemic or not um i think these are things that major league baseball wanted to get implemented regardless and um and, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a little older. However, I like both. Um, I like the extra inning, uh, the having the runner on second in the extra inning. And I, I'm telling you, I didn't like you, Justin. I didn't like it at all when they first announced it. It was terrible. What is this, Little League? And then it happened, and I watched, and I, I was excited. I was excited every inning, right? And, um, and again, you know, it, you're not talking about a huge amount of games that it's really affecting. Uh, in 2019, uh, less than 9% of games went past nine innings and uh, 208 games total uh, went past the ninth inning. And um, half of those, almost half of those finished in the 10th. Anyway, so um, was it necessary? Not not really, but I think it adds a little layer of excitement that, again, can can help get some young eyes in, in front of the, the TV and keep them there. Um Instead of going to bed, going, you know, I, I'm not watching a 15 inning game, even if it's unlikely. Um, same with the, the designated hitter. I mean, um, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, the designated hitter not being used in the National League probably had more effect than it does now because now you're pulling pitchers after five innings anyway, regardless of whether they're pitching the gym or not. <laughs> um, they're, they're gone. And, um, and, and, you know, anything that adds offense, you know, the NFL has done this brilliantly. And I, I don't necessarily like the rule changes that the NFL has implemented that have all gone to benefit the offense because I'm a, I'm a guy that likes the, the, you know, the, the 16 to 3 style games. Um, but um, I'm going to watch football anyway. The three of us are going to watch baseball regardless of the rules, right? Because we, we're those hardcore fans. 
what baseball needs to do is what NFL has done and tap into that group that isn't that only watches, you know, occasionally or, um, and, and that's what the NFL has done so brilliantly. They've, they've tapped into the youth market. Uh, they've tapped into, uh, the, the female market. They've tapped into the, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word nerd, but you know, the guys that aren't as athletic and, and more analytical, they've tapped into all of those markets by bumping up the offense, uh, in the NFL, because that's what people tune in to watch and baseball has not done that if anything with the implementation of the shift the offense has gone down so um you know i think this is a good way to tap into a little bit of extra offense a little bit of added excitement to hopefully get into some of these markets that they're struggling to get into because um you know us hardcore fans we're going to watch and uh, we're going to watch regardless but uh baseball has has yet to find a way to tap into to some of those outside markets that they're going to need as us purists Thus, you know, fans get older and die off. I hate to use that term, but it's what happens. And they need to bring in the, the younger fans. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people, if, if you're reading the comments out on social media, hate it. Especially people my age and older hate it. People that have been, the game's changing. I can't believe this. The game's changing. Well, you know what? The game's been changing. Um, you know, the game's been changing. The ballparks now are the size of a large backyard. Um, it wasn't that way 20 years ago. Um it's just not been as pronounced. Um, the, the players now are huge. They're jacked beyond the gills. It was not like that when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Mike Smith looked like my dad, right? And Nolan Ryan looked like the, the uncle that got drunk at every barbecue and started talking trash. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. If you want to know how much the baseball players' bodies have changed, just go pull out a 1983 baseball card of Kent to Colby. Remember that name. He literally looks like Squidward with glasses, okay? Baseball players aren't built the same. Baseball parks aren't built the same. Uh, the, you know, rule changes have, have slowly been implemented uh, to, you know, help, you know, whatever. Offenses help pitchers, you know, the implementation of technology. The game's been changing. It's just not been uh, kind of in your face like it is right now so you know if you don't like it move on to something else go watch a different sport go watch golf um and you know hopefully these help uh, these changes help major league baseball bring in some younger eyes some different eyes that maybe wouldn't be on the sport uh and and um continue it in the future because when i'm old and i'm 75 i want to be able to watch a baseball game um you know with a beer in my hand in in, in sunny florida um even if it's a little bit different uh, than it is now, I'd rather have it to watch and not be, you know, kind of ruined uh, by some sports that haven't adjusted, like like a boxing um, that's, you know, now so specialized. The only way you can watch a good match is, is on on pay per view, um, and you know, sports like boxing that have that have failed to adjust with the times. It's you know, they're afterthoughts now. Horse racing is another great example. Uh, baseball needs to change with the times. They've been slow to do so, and I'm glad to see them starting to. That's great. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing at this picture. Davis found a picture of the, the guy you were just talking about. He looks like a twig. That's fantastic. That is great. Thank you for that, Leroy. I, I enjoyed that. But I wanted to bring up one um, interesting point real quick here with the DH. The, there is one thing that I've always hated that baseball has done, and I, I don't know if this is also from you know being the younger generation or not, but – and it's something I think the universal DH could help with is because there's there's like nothing in baseball across the league that is universal. Everything is so separated between your AL and the NL. It's almost like there is two different leagues. And when it comes to what, being a fan of a sport and, and really like 
watching a sport as a whole as the way we all do with football i think baseball in itself just makes it so much harder to do that i mean in, in the first off you have just two different mvps playing the same game in the same league i've just never thought that makes sense i think that's something that also needs to be addressed because it's a in a way it's a simplicity issue and in a lot of ways that the nfl is doing really well with their marketing is they're simplifying a lot of things they're just making football appealing in the in the small ways to a lot of different fans i mean you had an nfl playoff game on nickelodeon where when someone had a false start a little kid came up and explains what that is to these kids watching now those are going to be lifelong football fans who i can promise you years from now we're going to think about when they got to watch the saints beat up on the bears on nickelodeon then that's another thing I think the NFL was doing really well that the MLB is not because I remember being a kid there was a lot of that stuff there was the junior dugout club for the Orioles I mean baseball was just fun the all-star game and the home run derbies were fun to watch they didn't start at 10 o'clock is I won't go on that too much before Leroy starts but it's those little things and I think a universal DH is really a big step into kind of unifying baseball as a league of itself right now we're in that awkward time of 19 65 football where you had the afl and the nfl but they were in the they were together but they they were separated you know you can't have interleague play with different rules it just makes no sense you you're inherently given the disadvantage to one league or the other which you know take a pick um but it yeah it just it just seems ridiculous and we're hanging on to uh you know to something to satisfy purists again that are going to watch anyway there are not going to be people that are cubs fans that are going to say i'm not watching the cubs anymore because now they have a designated hitter it's just not going to happen if anything it's going to bring some fans in it maybe wouldn't watch uh otherwise yeah and I, I do think it is a really good point especially with um like you said bringing in the fans that are going to watch anyway it it's we already saw it. like we said i mean this is actually kind of cool podcast here with the group we have me and davis you know being in our mid-20s and then with lee where we can see both sides really well and for us to come together and say both of us i remember leroy and i's conversation about this talking about the run on second we're like this is going to be so stupid and then we talked a couple weeks later after you know watching we're like oh my god this is awesome like we should have done this earlier so i really do think baseball fans as a whole kind of need to step back themselves and 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 realize like kind of what you said lee where it's just watch the game to watch the game we have it here to watch you know if if we really want to be the ones that make these decisions we're, we're going to work to be working for the mlb but we're not you know for a reason so it's a lot of a lot of big things there to contemplate and talk about we're about reaching our time here so i'm going to leave us off with a little bit different of a uh today in baseball but today is actually the anniversary of earl weaver's death january 19th so i wanted to put that in here for us as oriole fans um i saw a quote earlier someone put it on twitter and i feel really bad i can't remember who it was i want to say it was rock Kubaco from from Masson. he said today to honor earl weaver we'll put our hats backwards kick some dirt and wait for the three-run home run so i think that's fitting here is we hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think in the comments. And uh, it is time to walk it off. <laughs>